Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Welcome back, everyone. We are here again continuing our novella series. I am so excited about this one. Yeah, we have a fantastic series. If you have just dropped in, make sure to go back a couple of episodes and listen to us talk about some of the short stories and novellas. This week, we are doing Six of the Dusk. We have just reread Six of the Dusk, and what a ride. It is a fantastic story that everyone it's should pick up really really good i believe it is available on its own on kindle actually i know it is because i have it on its own on my <laughs> kindle or if you have the arcanum it's in there as well and the arcanum actually begins with some very interesting like uh notes from chris the cosmere scholar and we'll talk about those in a minute but just know that there is a slight difference in introduction to the story in Arcanum Unbounded. I think what is so interesting about Six of the Dusk is that this started on Brandon's podcast. It was a writing assignment uh, and brainstorming session among, I think, the four different authors that are on his podcast, and they kind of brainstormed this idea for Brandon to work on. Uh, and then he slowly turned it into a Cosmere story as well. And what a Cosmere story it is. I think, I mean, we talked a lot last time about how Cosmere significant Emperor's soul is. I think that this story is another one that is very Cosmere significant. But I would also say that it can easily slip by a lot of people's attention. So if you yeah. have not read Six of the Dust or you're just brand new here, this is hashtag all spoilers. Like we are going to completely destroy this book and all of our thoughts about it. If you um, haven't read it 100%, read it. That's your warning. Here we go. I want to start with the question of kind of where in the Cosmere is this story taking place? Background, Brooke. Hit me with it. Well, the planet that it's on is called First of the Sun. You'll see they have a uh, naming convention here. <laughs> and First of the Sun, it is the first planet away from the sun in this system. And it's considered a minor shard world. What would be the m major distinction there? Minor versus major shard world. What Brandon had to say about this was, quote, there is inherent investiture in every world created, but you are going to see, you aren't going to find Mistborn on a world like that. But what you would find is there are magic aspects to this setting. Spren could exist in a world like that, but they would be minor Spren. You wouldn't find Sill, but you would find something like Life Spren, end quote. And this is, again, just how the Cosmere interacts and is interwoven the stories are so tight because we're talking about Six of the Dusk, but this is mimicked on other Cosmere planets. And that's like what is so cool about these overall stories is like you can always find little things to demonstrate how the worlds are interacted when you have this bigger Cosmere vision. And I think something unique that we're only just starting to get a peek at, but I think there's a lot more coming is the different shades and like the different gradients that exist in the Cosmere where I feel like for typical fantasy or sci-fi universes, a lot of things are very uh, cut and dry. So you may have a lot of colors, but it's like red, blue, things that are very easily distinguished. You have things that are good, things that are bad, things that are magic, things that are not magic. Whereas Brandon is setting up this Cosmere with a lot of like shades of gray where you have shards. Shards can be splintered. Shards can be broken. You can have like pieces of magic, things that are slightly magic, things that are really magic. Um, and this 
like gradation of things is going to continue. We're going to talk about this more in relation to this story as well. For example, the planet itself seems to exist or operate more strongly in the cognitive realm than many other planets that we've seen. It's kind of similar to Cell in some ways, where geography is very important and the Earth itself is a significant um, force. And that's yeah. shown in a bunch of different ways. For example, the kind of stars of the show in many ways are the main magical coolness are the avier are the birds that seem to grant magical abilities to their owners you also have the night moths which hunt by tracking cognitive signals and we have this continued example of how the whole planet every single aspect is like deeply intertwined with the cognitive realm yeah, we haven't seen anything quite like this anywhere else. Like, even the humans, they can just cognitively communicate with, like, other animals on the islands. And the the emphasis over and over again is that, like, this world very much operates where it's normal for, like, oh, plants have a mental signature. You can, like, hear them. They, like, create this mental signature that broadcasts to other beings and things around them. Uh, and that's something that's really interesting and unique to this planet. You mentioned it's similar to Cell. Do you want to just briefly say why? And we'll dive in a little bit more later. Yeah, we'll dive in later. But Cell, the planet, is becoming cognizant, right? Yeah, sentient. Like a, it is a creature unto itself as its entirety. And we have speculated last week, uh, we speculated that that could be because of the way Odium destroyed the shards of that planet and like everything got jumbled into the cognitive realm. Yeah, no, I think we know that for sure. They're like squished in the cognitive realm. And so the planet is like becoming self-aware yeah and i just i i don't have a full understanding of why that is in its totality i don't think we completely know what is going on but that is kind of my connection is that something similar is going on on this planet where we know the biggest island on this uh archipelago is a huge and important center and the reason why this story is so cosmere significant we have the island of pat g brooke what's going on on that island of pat g it's basically the whole story and like the mystery that is evoked in this story yeah the whole story takes place on pat g one of these islands and we got some really interesting info about patchy Long after this story was published, actually after Oathbringer, now we know, according to Brandon, this is all word of Brandon official, Patchy is one of the 16 shards of Adenalsium. Yeah. What? You heard that right. <laughs> it is the island itself, as far as we know, from words of Brandon, is itself a shard that was previously unknown. And even, at, as you said, at the time of this story being written, we didn't know that. And then to go back and explore it from that perspective... It makes so much sense. It creates an entirely different component. And I think... Yeah, because it was after Oathbringer that this was announced. This was a yeah. Oathbringer of signing event. Someone asked about this. But I read this story before Oathbringer and I did feel confused. I didn't, um, it's a short story. It's not very long. Uh, I think Brooke read it in an hour and I read it in like 10, uh, but that <laughs> might, so I have to like start these books way earlier than her. Yeah. <laughs> However, it was partly confusing because I didn't have this kind of greater picture of the Island itself as like an actor 
And so I didn't really get the ending as much as I did this time around, where now when our main character, we haven't even introduced our main character, however... The island is the main character. There we go. Yeah, of course we have. So (laughs) you recognize that, what Brooke just said, the island is the main character. All of a sudden, all the interactions become very unique and like purposeful like when things happen and the fact that our narrator or the character we follow is six of the dusk and every kind of internal thought every lesson that he learned every action he takes on the island is this play back and forth with him and the island itself and it really works with the world that brandon has created because the culture that lives on and among these islands um has a mythology about them as you know many cultures do and this particular archipelago is called the Pantheon. And each of the islands, the the humans have sort of given their own, you know, personality or interpretation. So the, you know, the smaller, gentler islands that are great to go to the beach on are, you know, said to be like the youngest little children. They're very soft and sweet. And then this island, Patji, is the father of all the islands. It's larger than everyone else. And it's like very... Um, strong and rough um definitely not an island you go to the beach for and so i think it's interesting that the culture already has this like personality built up around it and then as we said it does have a personality because it's a shard so it's existing in the physical realm as the island that's what my main takeaway is from this word of brandon uh, that the island itself is kind of either part of the island or the entirety of the island is the shard and then is obviously bringing that huge connection to the cognitive realm and the spiritual realm, which is why at the very center of the island and at the climax of this short story, we discover that there's also a, a literal source on the island called Patji's Eye, which is a lake inside of a caldera uh you know an exploded mountaintop and then the little remains uh crater lake in oregon is the most famous and one of the largest in the world if not the largest in the world to create what i imagine is at the center of the island of pachit yeah and I don't know exactly what Brandon said about whether or not this is a shard pool. He kind of didn't answer yes or no. He just said that Patchy's eye is a natural manifestation of magic, but it's not quite as big as some of the other shard pools that we've seen. So I'm not sure exactly, you know, like if you could travel through it or not. I actually think the answer is no. Uh, So I think this smaller scale does mean that you cannot travel through it, or at least most people can't travel through it, or it's not easy, or, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, But I think that that actually explains the ones above, because we have world hoppers all over the Cosmere, right? We, like, we have this path. We know kind of a little bit more because of Oathbringer how the cognitive realm works and travel through their works. And we know that characters move around the Cosmere because that's why we're having this podcast. <laughs> uh, but I think that they might not be able to get to the planet first of the sun and so had to travel there through the physical realm. And that might be the explanation for the genesis of this story. Let's talk a little bit more about that. The ones above. We have another example of the power of this shard on Patchy in the form of a plant called Patchy's Fingers. And this is basically the climax or like the the big reveal in the story that the way the AVR get their powers and it's like common knowledge in the culture that a bird has to visit the island of Patchy uh, before you know, you bond with it or whatever. They don't realize that the reason the birds get their powers is because they eat the fruit of this plant called Patchy's Fingers. The fruit 
is inhabited by parasitic worms, which then go into the AVR and give them powers that then the AVR can, like, bestow upon their owners. It is, in many ways, the craziest example of magic that we've seen. I mean, Syl is a great example of, like, some really weird magic. Like, you have to bond with this other sentient creature that's actually part of a cognitive realm and like that's pretty crazy for like a fantasy you could just be like magic you know bang bang or you know like a old-timey wizard you know merlin and he just like waves his hand something cool happens no this is like kind of convoluted and then this is this like comes even along. more convoluted <laughs> this is literally about the bacteria and the most simple organisms on this island uh worms you know just a very basic creature that basically just eats dirt um and this like worm is a parasite that bestows through kind of an unknown yeah. means at this maybe point. something like allomancy if it's like living in their gut you know yeah i mean it's got to be some type of thing i have this deep theory that it's all about bacteria but that's honestly just because i read a book about bacteria <laughs> he's obsessed yeah but it's fine uh it's it's called i contain multitudes oh my god <laughs> <laughs> read it if you want that's fine we're not going into it however i i think that this relationship is so wonderful because it kind of jumps up into levels and at the end or at one end of the spectrum humans get magic powers like literally six of the dusk is protected in a cognitive shield, basically. I do think that's one of the more interesting things about this system, though, is that, to me, it's very clear that the humans don't have powers. Like, they're very clear. Like, I think on Rashar, Kaladin gets powers. By virtue of Syl, yes. But, like, Kaladin is the one producing and doing things. He sucks in Stormlight. Whereas in this world... As soon as the AVR leaves Dusk, like, he, he can't do anything special. The birds have to be near him. He has to have bonded them. Like, it's very clear that they are the ones with the powers. They simply allow us to, like, use their gifts while we're with them, which is why they're so valuable. But I think it is kind of the the continuation from the very bottom. It's a, it's a fractal relationship where it's yeah. like, the humans are using the birds. The birds are using the, the parasites. parasites. <laughs> and the parasites have to be using the bacteria. That's just how things go. <laughs> but I no more. Um, but that relationship is so interesting to see because it's so fundamental everywhere. Like, yes, of course, it's obvious. Like, you know, we are what we eat. And what they eat on Pat G turns them into magic. And that's amazing. <laughs> So do you want to talk about the AVR a yeah, little bit? Yeah, just a little bit. We don't know a ton about them. We only see two different AVR in this short story. And for a brief moment, there's a third who has to be left behind. Yeah. But the two main ones are... Coker Lee. And Sack. Or Sock. I say Sack. Sock kind of reminds me... Of Socks and Shoes. I really want him to be socks and shoes now. I wish that it was like a uh, other Cosmere pun name, Wax like and Wax Wayne. And yeah, and it was just like, this is shoes and this is socks. <laughs> but it's it's not. It's Cokerly and Sack. Cokerly um, shields Dusk's mind signature so that predators are not able to find him by his mind signature. And Sack is the unique one because Sack is not actually a bird from the archipelago. Sack is a bird from the mainland. Traditionally, these birds do not have magic powers and do not bestow gifts. However, when Six of the Dust brought this bird as a youngling to the island of Paji, he took him to the caldera where Pat G's fingers are and the bird ate from the plant and the fruit and now has a incredibly unique gift to bestow upon 
Six of the Dusk, and that is to show visions of how Dusk may die, um, and like a, a glimpse of his possible future uh, by like showing his corpse all mutilated or broken or stung by ants or something like that, whatever happens. And then this obviously goes terribly wrong in the story uh, at some points, but it's such a cool power, right? I mean, it's very useful, especially when, like, Dusk, you live and are traversing an incredibly dangerous place. (laughs) And I think this does get into a little bit of, like, the what does Dusk bring to the equation? Because, as you said, yes, the birds are the ones that are kind of bestowing the magic powers. But to bond with the birds and to raise the birds, and we don't know if the birds can exist in a Mm -hmm. different way— we know the humans are probably going to try based on the conversation yeah. of this story, but we don't know if they can live in a different way. The way that they, that Pat G has trained the humans or like weeded out the humans to only these people, only people like Six of the Dust, the trappers, only they can know all the secrets, only they can um, have a relationship close enough with like these two birds that one is an outsider and manifest these powers. Like that's a unique thing that Dusk brought to the equation. And I just want to give like hand off to a super cautious, almost like a deranged boy scout, six of the dust. <laughs> well, and I think on a simpler level, he mentions in the story that like when he first started receiving the visions from Sack, he just tried to avoid every place that he saw a vision of his corpse. And then eventually he realized he couldn't do that. You know, that wasn't going to serve him. And so he simply used them as um, sort of guideposts so that he would know, like, okay, I need to be a little bit more careful in this area. Um, And so he still goes into those places. And I just thought that was an interesting take on it. Like, clearly, it's not just the bird. Like, he still has to use his own whatever woodman skills. That's exactly what it is. That's what it, you get actually <laughs> in video called. games. That's like one of the things that you can fill up and give yourself points to be better at. Woodsmaning? Woodsman skills. No, exactly what she said. Woodsmanship. Nope. That is probably a better name. <laughs> um, you could bushcraft or Oh, there you forestry. go. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, but there's. I'm just going to call it woodsmanship. Yeah. <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> the most fascinating thing to me about this whole relationship is obviously the interjection of a problem plot in the form of Vathi, who really is like the motivating cause for what happens because Dusk shows up on the island and boom, things are in chaos. His island's been invaded. Yeah, invaded by the outsiders, the homeland, the home islers, uh, but the people with all the technology who have been kind of jump-started their exploration and their industry they're basically having an industrial revolution it feels like yeah no they definitely are they're like you know a generally i guess what we would rudely call a primitive culture well that's what it seems like traditionally and then instead of kind of coming upon a natural industrial revolution that maybe happens over hundreds of years uh they have been gifted in quotes by the ones above some technology that seems to as like really maybe thrown some imbalance into their equation uh and vathi is from a group that is literally trying to invade the island to explore the avr and figure out how to kind of use and manipulate them to help the ones above yeah i mean it's basically a parallel of you know the traditional colonial story um the group that she is a part of is a very clear uh parallel to the india trading company indian trading company yeah the east india company that was obviously incredibly prevalent in and throughout uh, the world, but yeah. primarily bringing different things from Asia and especially South Asia back over uh, to Europe. But then also importantly for this story, anyway, bringing British culture to those places. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, basically, a lot of European cultures, if not all European cultures, went through trade. 
um, and there were multiple different companies like this that operated uh, in those areas. And, you know, with trade comes a lot of positive things, and with trade and development uh, comes a lot of negative things, and that is what Vathi represents. So it's super incredible that Vathi is able to, one, find Dusk's safe house to begin with, and then she keeps up with him as they, like, run across this island. Um, And I guess let's talk a little bit about why they're running. What is the main conflict of the story? Well, Vati's company has shown up and, like, built this gigantic encampment on the other side of the island, and they have a machine called Gift, but we don't think it's a gift. That's in quotes. (laughs) Um, That is going to go off and kind of attack or locate the avr through the cognitive realm i don't know exactly what the purpose of them but just yeah help them find the avr and six of the dusk knows that it's gonna like be the end of the island and it's gonna be really terrible and boom they're off running through the jungle in what is just an incredible heart-pounding story that just like gets more mysterious and more thrilling as it goes on yeah it's, it's a non-stop book i mean it's really incredibly written it's very much so a like thriller or suspense sort of genre. And this machine that they have, this is something I definitely want to talk about. It is left to them by the ones above who are these people who fly in on their spacefaring craft and as we said previously, started to trade with the Elikin people, who are the people who live on these islands. But they have a rule. They can't trade, like, too much, or they can't trade certain things. They can't take anything or leave anything until the Elikin are more sophisticated. This is such an interesting kind of, like, Star Trek idea of... uh super advanced race meeting a planet full of relative simpletons that they choose like not to interact with but then as you pointed out it's kind of a question of what can they do to like bend their rules it just introduces all of these questions about what's going on with the ones above well and then it's like even even just the fact of them coming Right. Tells like, you something. Yeah. Like, oh, we have these spacefaring vehicles. Just doing that already introduces, you know, a heretofore unseen thing into the Elikin culture that's going to change their culture. And not just the Elikin culture, the Cosmere culture. We know of no other, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody on Twitter or Reddit or Facebook or any of the ways that you want to get in contact with us. We know of no other example of space travel from one planet to another well i do think this story is like far down the timeline i think it is mistborn people i think it's mistborn era four that that's the speculation you know soft words of brandon he has said that the direction he is hoping to go is a spacefaring Mistborn civilization in a couple of series, which I which guess, we've already seen the beginnings of yeah, with the flying, yeah, the flying machines. So yeah, just imagine that out on our world. How long did it take to get from the first flying machine? Like I'll throw in a couple of secrets: late eighteen hundreds to early nineteen hundreds, up to our boys, the Wright brothers. But it was also going around, you know, the rest of the world too. Um, however, this is a launching point for our own civilization where within six Mm -hmm. decades from flight, we're on the moon, Uh, you know, six or seven decades, depending on how you want to count. Um, We're on the moon and we have things that are going to Mars and we have literally just the other day, this is not a joke, like this week, satellites were shot into space that are going to beam the internet planet wide that's what's going on right now and we're like only a hundred plus years out from the first example of flight and that's where mistborn is right now we've seen the beginning of their flight 
So like less than a hundred years and with magic, probably less than that. (laughs) Like it could easily be in 50 years time, Mistborn has basic, you know, low scadrial orbit (laughs) (laughs) uh, technology. And how much longer until, you know, what if scadrial is in the same I don't think it could be in the same system, obviously, because we yeah. know they're in different systems. Yeah. But if it's the closest like cluster to one another, oh. where this star and this star are actually pretty close, and the Mistworm people point at it, and they're just like, let's go to that one, the closest. Ooh, we should look at the star chart that's in the Arcanum. There's a star chart, but I don't know. It's not a real star chart. Exactly. But still, that's... it could give us some clues. Okay, diving deep into the Arcanum Unbounded, we have taken a peek at the star chart, which is a stylized and not accurate. It's more like an astrological chart, sort of. Yeah, a little bit. It has the, you know, the goddesses like drawn on the stars. It's not scientific. Yes, and it's also a two-dimensional map that is representing three-dimensional space. However, having said that, Scadrial and First of the Sun do seem to be at least kind of an easy journey between the two. Uh, I mean, we don't know. You can draw a straight line between them on the map. Yeah. So is it the closest? It's possible. Yeah. Is it the closest star? Probably not. Uh, Is it one that they could theoretically travel to? Maybe. And that's what the big kind of Cosmere questions are. How are we watching these different cultures and civilizations advance and then you can play it down all the way to the micro level of watching individual characters advance or blow it all the way up to the cosmere level and watch these shards of adenalsium kind of battle and grow and live over thousands of years whoever the ones above are they have come they have quote-unquote left or forgotten very conveniently some of their little gadgets the elican are like hey look at this we found this cool stuff come to apache gonna use it they open it up and again so conveniently there just happened to be some instructions there like not super detailed but enough where like they could figure it out and probably replicate it And the instructions were in the language of the ones above, but conveniently, they also left behind a translator device. Wow, look at that. It's just enough. If you think about it from the ones above perspectives and they're trying to like make all these little check all these boxes to fit. They're teaching some... the man to fish. Yeah, basically. I mean, they're, they're teaching him how to build his own trap. That's the end kind of feeling that Six of the Dusk has, that uh, this is mankind walking into a trap. And that becomes the core feeling or conclusion that dusk reaches yeah dusk and vathi yeah and yes vathi does come to understand it as well because dusk basically took her her on as an apprentice (laughs) i think that dusk's realization is correct and it has huge cosmere significance brooke is literally dying to tell everyone about it i am this has always been my theory since the first time I read this story. This is like my big Cosmere theory (laughs) because when I read the end of this story, I immediately thought of the recreants on Rashar and that scene that Dalinar sees when the original Knights Radiant leave their shard plate. They walk away. They just leave their shard plate and their shard blades on the ground and immediately all of these men start grabbing the tools and fighting each other and killing each other for the shard plate and the shard blades. And and then there are multiple references and realizations throughout that series talking about how, why do their magical tools, these shard plate and shard blades, why are they all like war weapons? Why don't they have any like cooking tools or like friendly things everything is like a weapon of death i mean imagine the power and strength of 
a shard blade or shard plate in something like a building machine uh, a device yeah. that replicated like super strong bricks or something that were like infused with uh stormlight and you could build huge structures out of mega structures you know building and bigger cities than anything else on Rashar, like the old cities or like yeah. Urthuru. yeah i find it like incredibly interesting and as you said asked many many times throughout all of the stormlight books and there are no there's no justification really no one knows why the shard plate was abandoned like that there were like no explanations given so it's a very similar circumstance of you have a population that has been decimated they've basically you know gone back to the beginning their children as as a species and then you've given them these very powerful tools, like just conveniently left them there lying around. Um, and, and and then the the people are sort of forced to like grapple with and use these tools that they don't really understand. They can't replicate, nothing like that. And so I thought this was just a really interesting parallel to that story. And I think it tells us how we should be reading that story on Rashar. It is a brilliant connection to Rashar. And I think that it brings into question, maybe, I don't know, but maybe the Rasharian system has created the ones above. Again, just wild speculation, but like it may not be Scadriel. Uh, but maybe Rashar, maybe something happened in the past with a part of Ashen that they had a spacefaring race. We know that they were able to jump. That's true. From physically jump from one planet to another in the system. Maybe this is like a lost tribe situation that like from Ashen, they were the explorers that went out and half the group was like, we're going to jump over that planet. And half the group was like, we going out peace. I don't know if I totally think that they're like that connected, but I think that's a good call. You know, I'm just saying they probably come from one of the systems and I want to try to <laughs> spread the love. It could be any of the systems right now. <gasps> okay. Maybe the Taldane people somehow channel their son's energy into super awesome oh. solar panels and they're flying around now. We don't know. <laughs> That would definitely be what Taldane should like really focus on. Bring, bring in some of that sand. <laughs> yeah, they could have some power. really good solar power. Well, so think of like sand become, uh, you know, you heat yeah. up, it becomes glass. So you could have solar powered glass. I'm baffled why this doesn't exist all around the planet. You know what? Actually, that's a really, I'm so glad you said that because now that I'm thinking about it, the sand on Taldane is similar to the aviar where it's not actually the sand oh, you're that right. has the investiture. Yeah. It's like a bacterial coating. Yes, that's right. That comes after the sand is eaten by the big monsters. Yeah. Yeah. And they like poop it out <gasps> with the bacteria coating. That's such a good connection. I did not make that connection until right now. We've done it again, Thank you. folks. Yes. <laughs> I love that that connection was made and also that you can go reading these stories like quite detailed. I We've read and talked about like White Sand and other books multiple times and you still catch details of connections. And that is definitely something that, well, that's why we created the podcast, folks. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to talk a little bit more about Patchy and everything that we've learned about Patchy in the Cosmere? Yes, because there's since, so much and it's so exciting. Since the revelation that Patchy is more than meets the eye and a, a shard of adenalsium, of course, everybody wants to know about Patchy. I mean, this is equivalent to honor. This is equivalent to odium. This is equivalent to harmony or before that ruin and preservation. Like this is a shard of adenalsium one of if not the most powerful thing in the cosmere that we know of it is the island of Pachi. what do we know about this mainly coming from words of brandon we know from brandon that Pachi is related to autonomy he didn't actually say if it is autonomy or not it could be a different shard that is just like on the same 
side as autonomy in this like cosmic war that's happening. Um, as I was reading it, I was also thinking it could be a shard of something like survival, survival or something like shard. that. Yeah, there and people in the like Cosmere community have been calling have been saying survival shard to indicate the shard that Brandon said is, quote, just trying to hide and survive. But he's been very clear that that shard is not the shard of survival. But I felt like this one kind of could be because it's creating this, you know, very adverse environment that people have to learn how to survive in. And of course, that's what Dusk realizes is that this trap that's being set by the ones above is exactly what he has been trained for that patchy has prepared him for yes pat g has trained all the trappers and all the people that can survive there if you can survive me you can survive them and it's such an interesting idea because i think pat g is the quote-unquote survival shard i think this because related to autonomy but not quite autonomy to me says something that is maybe created by the destruction that autonomy called like we keep saying odium is the big bad but we also know that autonomy is kind of there so maybe autonomy destroyed something help helping hand in uh, devotion and dominion maybe um and maybe something was maybe a shard piece was severed off and that became patchy and it just like went to hide Ooh. and it like slammed into uh the planet first of the sun and then like this became this volcano and all this stuff okay 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 i love that super interesting but that then also ties into the other things we know about patchy from the letter that's in one of the oathbringer epigraphs tell me all about it so there's a few letters in the epigraphs and we talked about this all in our epigraphs episode and i think in our episode about hoyd and the letters But just to briefly recap, there is a specific letter written from who we don't know who to Hoyd. It is addressed to his older name, Sephandrius. And within this letter, it says, uh, quote, but we stand in the sea, pleased with our domains. Leave us alone. We also instruct you should not return to Oberdai. We have claimed that world, and a new avatar of our being is beginning to manifest there. She is young yet, and, as a precaution, she has been instilled with an intense and overpowering dislike of you. End quote. Oberdai, in this case, if we're taking the theory to its full conclusion, Oberdai is first of the sun. Yeah. So when this first came out, Obviously, people were speculating that this was about First of the Sun because they talk about the sea and the oceans and waters, and that's the only world we've seen that's really aqueous. Yeah. Great word. Wow. Vocabulary. (laughs) Thank you. Top of the charts. I just said water-focused. Words are my thing. Oh, my goodness. That was the greatest example of ridiculous difference between (laughs) you and I. You know, (laughs) water-focused. So since it's the most aqueous world that we've seen, everyone was speculating. Then we got confirmation from Brandon. Then, okay, and then also, I'm sorry, I'm just like very excited. What a tribe. (laughs) Then we were also speculating about who this letter could be from. And I think in our podcast episode, we were speculating that it was some kind of group, like maybe the group that had worked together to break Adonalsium in the first place. However, another word of Brandon uh, came out basically saying that autonomy exists in different aspects of itself. Which we don't fully understand. And it is something that was not clearly stated, just kind of implied, and then people asking about it minutes later. However, I think what it's saying is that autonomy may not be one thing anymore. Yeah. So it could be that that letter is written by autonomy, and autonomy is just some kind of like 
weird hive mind. Yeah, think of it as like all of those anywhere who are devoted enough to autonomy become, like you said, part of the autonomy hive mind. I don't, it, that's such a weird way to think of because autonomy and hive mind don't go together. Well, okay, but, but here's my theory. Yeah. But here's my theory. Like you were saying, maybe survival is like a piece of autonomy that has broken off. So maybe autonomy as a shard had to break apart because all of the different aspects of autonomy couldn't exist together because they need to be autonomous. That is interesting, especially when we remember that the holder of a shard is deeply affected by the shard itself and their personality kind of manifests how the shard exists on that world. One like autonomy would be incredibly conflicted maybe of how to truly be autonomous yeah, how do you be autonomous when you are connected to the shard yeah. that is connected to a planet that is like connected to a bunch of other things and so this idea that like in order to fix a basic programming flaw like two things cannot exist simultaneously um you you ran up against like the cognitive realm and the physical realm and like one had to give uh it just like broke off a piece of itself and that became pet g yeah so i'm wondering if autonomy is like fractured sort of i'm thinking of it as like a broken mirror where all of these different facets of autonomy like think of themselves as separate things like autonomy has multiple personality disorder oh wow that would be a shattered shard one that's not broken or destroyed yeah, it's one just that's like fractured yes oh and but then that. on some level, it knows it's all one thing because it's writing this letter saying we, like all of us together, fractured pieces of autonomy. I love the deep speculation. That also implies that there could be shards of autonomy on multiple planets. So right now we've been operating under the assumption of like, well, if autonomy is on Taldane, it can't be anywhere else. But, but it, it always has be. seemed weird that all of these things kind of have autonomy-like stuff going on. Yeah, and it's always like, that's not possible because it can only be in one place. Yeah, we're so used to the shards being planet-focused, but we also know that ODM has jumped around multiple times. So it's a flaw in our perspective. We're reading these books where the shards basically right now haven't moved around a whole bunch uh i think that we can't say any examples outside of something like ruin and preservation becoming one but they didn't move outside of the skadrian system but they can and odium has and maybe autonomy has too in kind of this fractured way that you're saying it's so exciting <laughs> <laughs> because I really do think it explains all the foreshadowing that's going on with the red mist around Scadriel that Harmony's holding back and why he can't focus all the time on wax. He's got other things going on. And basically, we think that all the planets have got these things going on. And that's why the stories are happening, because it's an interesting time in the Cosmere. But I think that pat g is at the center of the answer like mm. you can't have the answer without understanding what pat g is but i don't know what the answer is because i don't <laughs> know what pat g is i'm just talking about it but I, I like i don't have an answer i'm sorry if you were waiting <laughs> yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens and like what develops with pat g as well as with cell like we were talking about earlier like what does it actually mean when a physical planet is imbued with the power of a shard it kind of brings up this question of like it's weird it's weird i know however we know that ruin and preservation that power can shift a planet's orbit so we know that a shard can like change its own orbit maybe completely break apart the planet maybe bring a planet together i think that there is a question that at least could be asked i guess of what if the planets are capable of really choosing the path uh, that they want to go down? Not necessarily like through the physical realm, um, not like actually like shifting planets, but the kind of, if the planet 
has become sentient. Can the planet want something and then make all of the things on the planet do that thing? Oh. Like go to war or something like that with another planet. Well, I would think they wouldn't be able to do that, but they could change all of the circumstances of life, right? Yeah, exactly. If the planet decided to like stop producing food, you would get a war. Yeah, you would get, yeah, mass chaos. So like what if the planet cell, I'm just trying to spread the love again, I want everyone to possibly be able to be the ones above. Here's how Cell does it. Cell the planet becomes sentient and then recognizes another another thing like itself in the Cosmere, in the universe, and then crafts the society to become the ones above. That's my theory of how Cell could be the ones above. Interesting. All nonsense. I'm so sorry, folks. <laughs> I think it is interesting to keep around the galaxy brain and the cosmere universe brain especially when it comes to realizing that first of the sun is named first because there are more than one and (laughs) there are numerous planets in the dormanid system four of them are covered in water and have life Three have life, four are in the habitable zone. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. Three have human life, like fully developed humans. Oh, yeah, good point, good point. And then the fourth, we assume, has vegetation and life because it is in the habitable zone, but no humans. So there is only one other place, the Risharian system, that rivals the number of human-occupied planets. So Dormanid Because of that, you could very quickly imagine becoming a focal point, a real spot of culture and development for the Cosmere because all the planets could interact with one another in a much stronger and more unified way so they could cooperate and pull resources better, theoretically, uh, to develop faster. And that could be the move that the ones above are trying to make. They're looking at the dormant system and being like, oh, dang, that is prepped for survival it's the australia in the risk game that's a deep plug but if you could get to australia and hold that it was very difficult for anyone to beat you in the game because you could just outlast survivor style and that is kind of what pat g is it's survival a, yeah exactly it's all there what a ride pat g is crazy and the book is a ride i highly encourage everyone to pick up this one that you may have missed in the past brooke Can you take us away? Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. 